Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Simply S. I'm your host Sargon and today I am so excited to present to you guys my fourth ever episode. We are going to be having a conversation with Mr. Aaron Lopez and for those of you who don't know him, he is a English teacher for seniors here at the Miami Valley School. I know him super well because he's been my advisor since freshman year and will be for the rest of my high school career. Today, we talk about everything from his love for theater to his journey into the world of education. Make sure you stay till the end to hear some really honest and heartfelt advice from Mr. Lopez himself. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Hi, Mr. Lopez. Welcome and thank you for being on my show today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Awesome. So I want to start out by asking you a kind of like cliche question. So if you don't mind just telling me a little bit about yourself. All right. So um, I've been teaching for 10 years. I have taught at a variety of different schools. Uh, started out at a public school, split my time there between an, an alternative school, mostly for like behavioral issues, um, students who were academically behind, and then the other half was just kind of a traditional public school. Pretty large uh, school at that. Uh, I've also taught at a private uh, Catholic school. I've taught at a magnet school, Stivers, downtown Dayton. I've taught here at MVS for now five years, my fifth year here. Um, so I've kind of been all over the place. When I'm not teaching, really into movies. Um, my wife and I have a dog, so we, we've got our, our little kid there, Rosie, um, to take her on lots of hikes and walks and stuff like that. Lately, haven't really had an opportunity to do this, but otherwise, I love theater. I like to direct and act and, and be on both sides of that, so kind of busy in all different sorts of fronts. But yeah, I mean, my, my expertise, I guess if I have one, would probably be in the world of education. So I think... For those of you who don't know about Mr. Lopez, but I spend a lot of time in his room and I see all the posters you have from Broadway shows and all the Marvel posters you have up. So I want to know what got you into theater? So can't believe I didn't say anything about Marvel, but yeah, I'm a huge comic book fan as well. But for theater, actually, it's funny. My very first experience with theater was uh, second grade. Every year, I went to a, a Catholic school from kindergarten through eighth grade, and then I went to public school. But uh, around the holidays, we would always do like a Christmas pageant kind of a show. And the eighth graders would always be the leads, and then they would occasionally get other kids from different uh, different grades to be filler roles. Well, I got picked somehow randomly, or they, they thought I was out spoken or I don't know what um, but I got picked to play the donkey in the the manger scene and so I I was a donkey and at one point I was in the way it was part of the script I was in the way and like I think it was one of the wise men like grabbed me from like the back and like pushed me over to the side and I made this really like, annoyed donkey sound oh wow and people loved it it was so funny well that hooked me in I, I love to just kind of have that, that acting, even if it was something silly as that. Um, so I did a couple other shows um, in middle school. And then in high school, uh, went out for a show uh, my sophomore year. 
and um, got it. It was a really small part. It was the doctor and cheaper by the dozen. Um, I had like three lines. I was nervous the whole time. I don't even remember auditioning for the show, but I do remember having a good time, not having to be there that often, but getting to meet some friends. And from then I was hooked. I went out for the musical that year and it was Oliver, the choir director asked me, he's like, why aren't you in choir? I was like, well, I didn't think I could sing. He's like, well, you can. So next year I want you to be in choir. I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of been this idea of, um, for me, I really like the idea that if you're nervous about being yourself, uh, which a lot of people are, especially when you're high school, middle school, even some adults sometimes. Acting allows you to figure out how to be somebody else. And I found that it allows you to understand yourself through that process. So if I am going to be someone who is very angry, I have to understand how I personally deal with anger. Otherwise, I can't portray anger correctly through this other character. So in that way, it's really fun. It's also fun just to be able to go on stage, make a fool of yourself, and know that it's the character doing that, not you. You know, you can step outside of yourself if you're reserved or, or a little more isolated you can go on stage and do something very out of the norm and it allows you to do that and then afterwards you step back into your own skin and you can just be yourself again so that's a, a really interesting concept wow so most recently i know that you have moved into the world of podcasting so could you tell my listeners a little bit about that yeah so i I really didn't listen to podcasts uh, when they first started coming out. Um, how I got involved was my wife is has been doing podcasts for longer than I actually, and she's on an audio drama called Unwritten and The Hidden People. They're both through uh, Dayton Writers Movement. And I found this post randomly and I said, hey, this is some voice acting. You might go out, go out for this. She ended up getting a smaller part and they saw kind of, you know, they like what she did and they're like, oh, would well, you mind doing this role? Much bigger. And she took it and that kind of helped start that podcasting world for her, which then in turn got me more interested into doing it. So one day she's looking online and finding just some different networks and ideas, blogs and everything. And a post comes up for a movie review podcast. And I love movies, like I said, I really enjoy good, bad, everything in between. And the hook was that they would pay for a movie pass, which doesn't exist anymore, it was a horrible business model, but you got to see one movie a day as many times as you wanted while you paid your monthly fee. And so that sounded great. They'd buy my movie pass, I got to review movies. So I got to see movies for free and they'd pay me to do it. And so I ran that show, it was called The Drive-In, for about uh, 80 episodes. Um, roughly from 2017 to about 2000, summer of 2019. So about two years. Uh, then took some time away from that and then a friend of mine who had been a guest host on that podcast for a couple shows, said, hey, you have any interest in maybe bringing it back? I'd be a co-host more consistently with you, and so that way it's not all on your shoulders. Um, and we ran that one for about 20 episodes, and then COVID happened and made things a little more difficult, and, and I'm taking grad classes, so life gets busy. But now that we're doing the podcast immersion and I'm, I'm talking about it every day, I'll probably get back into it again here shortly. But yeah, it's, it's just something that I kind of fell into and it's a, it's a cool way for you to be able to express your ideas, put your voice out there, not really, and maybe in a scary way, not knowing who's going to hear it, but not always having to know who's going to hear it. You just put it out there and if someone listens, that's fantastic. But it's more for me, I think, the process of putting it down onto a, a sound file, editing it down and getting it out there. It's a lot of fun. I agree, especially with this immersion. But I want to ask you, since teaching is obviously such a large part of your life, what inspired you to enter the world of education? So my family, my mom and dad specifically, are both teachers. My mom has been an art teacher since I can remember. And my dad was an English teacher 
um, and then he moved into the world of administration. So I grew up, you know, any time that there was a day that I had school off and they didn't, I went to school with them. I had a lot of take your kid to school days for, for myself when I was growing up and it kind of became a thing that I just knew, I knew school as being more than just school ever since I can remember. And I always saw the relationships that my parents had with their students and I really admired that. I liked the fact that while their students had a, there was a fine line between, you know, the professionalism and then being unprofessional or inappropriate. They were well respected. Their students knew that they were actually listening to them and they saw them for more than just, you know, a kid in a seat who who has to get an assignment turned in. And I really loved that. I really respected that aspect of communication. And so in high school, um, I went through a few different jobs uh, as far as career opportunities, thinking maybe I was going to be a lawyer or a veterinarian. None of those worked out. I just kind of couldn't attach myself to those. Um, but teaching seemed not only feasible, but it made sense. So after a little bit of soul searching there, I went from uh, a science teacher Freshman orientation, I had said I was going to be a, a science teacher. Went through the orientation, said no, not for me. Uh, English is a little bit more my my style. So I went into that, and now here I am. But yeah, I think it's it's just the the relationships and the idea that you you can really impact a lot of of students. And and again, not to sound cliche, but you'll hear this occasionally. But I think the best teachers actually believe it is that you go 35, 40, 50 years of teaching, you really only have to change the life of one student, and you've done your job. Um, hopefully, you could do more than that. You know that you can say with confidence that you have impacted that one. Then you did what you set up to do. So what do you think is the most important part or aspect of education today in schools today? Oh wow, that's a good question. I would say the thing that I always really hope to drive for students um, in the classroom uh, is relatability. Um, I want, and, and again, this is for me in English, but you know, I, I had this approach when I was a student as well. You have to find a reason why what you're studying matters. Um, and hopefully a good teacher will help you do that. They will show you that if even if you're not a math kid, that understanding this math process is gonna help you with X, Y, and Z later, even if you are not going into a math-driven field. You, know, you have to be able to relate to what it is you're doing. You need to find some purpose behind it. And if you don't, there's no reason to do it. You know, it's, it's busy work then. I think that for me is one of the most important things for, for teachers and for students. Make sure that what you're listening to or what you're teaching it has a purpose. I want to know what role do you think diversity plays in a school environment? How important is it? It's very important. Um, and I say this as a, a straight white man. You know, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that I've always been aware of and kind of looking at my privilege, you know, growing up, uh, even though I grew up in a, in a family that you know, we were not well off financially. It's not like we were horribly uh, poor or anything like that, but financially not the best, but even despite that, I turned out fine, didn't have to jump through many hoops. So I think, like you had said, uh, what's, the, what's the role of it? It's incredibly important because, you know, and, and specifically now in this day and age, we're not living in a Eurocentric America anymore. And if, we, and if somebody believes we are, they're not opening their eyes to look around them. Um, there are so many different types of people around you in the classroom, outside, walking down the street, in your, you know, your jobs. Everything is different than it was years ago and for the better, I'd say. Um, so in, in the educational field, we need to try to replicate that for the truth of the world around these students as much as possible. Um, so for, for me with English, I always try to find ways, if it's not the text itself, it's the relatability to show expansion beyond whatever the story is saying. If I'm doing my job correctly or, or really getting hitting it on the nose, it is the text, it's the author. It's not just tell, telling the story of a, um, of a white man or 
uh, a white woman even for that, They're trying to expand into other avenues to show people multiple stories. The challenge though is for me, that those aren't always my stories to relate to. So finding ways to help students explore those, because it may not be their stories either, but exploring those to understand uh, that people have different views, that have they have different experiences, um, and whether or not we can directly relate to them, we can learn from them. And like I said, for relatability, that's what you're gonna see when you walk out of these doors, um, you know, in college and beyond. So you need to be at least aware of it. Um, and hopefully a lot more than just aware, you need to be able to find some, some values behind it. So you've worked at a lot of schools and they've had a lot of different compositions, mm -hmm. I'm sure. So do you think schools are truly effective at diversity and more than just, you know, numbers and statistics of different types of backgrounds and genuinely at diversity of thought? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked at, like you said, there's been a lot of schools. I think some are more successful than others, um, but I think that schools are kind of on the forefront of this shift because the the diversity that we're seeing in the community um, and in the country it's filtering its way down into this these these people are having kids and these kids are going to school and so while they may not have had the first-rate experiences that they want for their children they want those for their children and so the schools are the ones to, to begin to lay the groundwork for that. And so I think that diversity of thought as well as just diversity of people, I think education's on its way. It's not there yet. I think we, we've got a long way to go, but you see things such as, you know, these, these different programs that are out there, there's different um, opportunities for people of different backgrounds, and you are seeing curriculum that is being driven around a multicultural uh, lens. You're starting to see people being more aware of that. The texts that I taught 10 years ago and the texts that I'm teaching next year are vastly different because I have been made more aware just by observing the world around me, as well as having conversations with students and teachers that things are different. And and you need to be aware of that. And I'm not the only teacher who's going through that. I think a lot are. You're also seeing youth uh, find its way into the classroom as younger teachers who are growing up in a more diverse world. They're now taking over curriculum. So I think that not to say that if it's an old teacher, they're horribly racist, no. It's just saying that, you know, the world that they grew up in is not 100% the world we're growing up in now. Um, you know, so in five, six years, you may have classmates who go on to be teachers and the conversations you're having now about this, the world that you're living in, they're gonna be having with students just like you in a few years. So, you know, that's something that we have to continue to look at. And I think that as we get further away from where we were, we'll get closer to where we wanna be. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So I wanna ask you, what is one goal you have personally, or maybe even for your role here at this school, what's one goal you have for education or for your career specifically? Well, I am taking grad classes, so I think eventually I want to use that. Um, I'm going to school for school counseling. So I think for me, a personal goal is to be able to continue to utilize relationships between me and students in order to help them grow. Uh, counselors are, are meant to do that. They're supposed to help the social emotional well-being of students. And the conversations that I have with students now, whether they be literary in nature or just, you know, hey, how's it going? How, how was your weekend? Um, it's to help them kind of understand more about themselves, about the, the community, about the world around them. So um, I think that's a big goal. Ultimately though, you know, in the next few years while I continue to grab, um, you know, those credit hours is just keep listening to students. Um, something that I have kind of prided myself on throughout my career is having a connection to students 
a lot of that was because of the age difference. There wasn't as much. My first year of teaching, I was only three or four years older than most of my students. Could have gone to school with them had I been a super senior and they were a freshman. But that gap is getting bigger now. I'm getting older. Still not up there yet, but the gap's spreading. So I think continuing to listen to students and um, find other ways to connect with them, you know, helping them see teachers and authority figures as human as well, just because vulnerability is, is something we don't like in our society as much right now. And if authority figures like teachers can say, hey, yeah, I made a mistake, or I just don't understand you know, the approach to this, that vulnerability shows the human side and helps create more of a dialogue. And I think that then grows that communication and that relationship. So yeah, I think that'd be kind of my, my short-term goal. That's, that's amazing. I wanna know what has been the most rewarding part of being an educator? The conversations after students graduate. Um, I have, I mean, there's a handful of students that I still speak with, probably about four or five that have gone on to graduate and um, I talk to weekly in some form, whether it's through a a Facebook message or an email or a phone call or text. Um, There's a handful of students and those, those conversations afterwards where all the things that you did to help them understand something or to try to cope with something, they're using that. When they recognize and realize that it was you who put them on that path, it's that long-term gratification that most most teachers don't get. And we're not in it for the gratification. So, um, but when it comes occasionally, it makes it all worth it. You know, that, like I said earlier, that one student, sometimes that, that's all it is. But, you know, I've had, I've had students, uh, when I first taught back in Illinois a few years ago, um, students who came to my wife and I's wedding. Um, they're very close with us. And, and so they got, they got to come to the wedding. I've gone to multiple students' weddings of mine. One of my first students, uh, she's now a teacher and she's kind of on the same path I am, except for instead of teaching English, she's uh, music directing but she's directing plays and and musicals and she'll text me every now and then and say like hey so how did you do this like how did you how did you cast a show um or how did how did you figure out how to tell uh, an administration you know that this show will will or won't work out for you and being able to just pass that information on long after the fact that's fun that makes it all worth it wow so kind of related to that what has been the most challenging part hmm I would say there's there's always challenges. I mean, it's always a it's always a challenge to to stay relatable. I think to make sure that what you're doing, you know, for me, I I change my books every year, even if I'm teaching the same course year to year. You can get bored really easily uh, if you do the same thing over and over and over again. If you go into the world of teaching, you probably are not somebody well suited for an office job because that is the same thing. You get good at it, you never have to change it. But I think for me, is it's just keeping it fresh. It's a lot of work, um, and it's it's a lot of a lot of times it is work that you are not always getting all of the uh, the accolades and the congratulations and good jobs for. It goes uh, unnoticed a lot of times, but that's okay. The people that need to hear it and need to, or the people that matter the most, actually, let me say, they're the ones that notice it and will say something to you and again you don't do it for the accolades you don't do it for the gratification but it's a thankless job a lot of times and I think you know teaching is not for everybody the world of education is not for everybody but like I, I always tell people there's never a dull day teaching because kids come with a lot of good and bad every day they've got a lot of things they're excited about a lot of things they're they're dealing with and so every day you've got a new set of challenges to sometimes your own sometimes theirs it's tiring but it's worth it, I think. On on the bad days, it makes you question it, but hopefully there are a lot less bad days than there are good. You mentioned that, you know, you're journeying into this world of counseling and kind of the focus on mental health. Mm-hmm. And recently that has become more prevalent 
sort of with COVID, sort of with me getting to this age and realizing how how it is a concern and an important issue, how do you think mental health can and should be dealt with or emphasized in school? I think the first thing is kind of alluding to what I said earlier is that while the teachers are, are human, um, teachers have to remember that the students are too. I've come to a point where I would much rather a student turn in an assignment a day late then stay up all night worrying about that assignment because they had too many other things to do. I will say though that now and nowadays more students are diagnosed um, with mental health disorders, anxiety, depression, combination, a multitude of things than I have ever seen before. When I was in high school, I think I might have been one of the only people in my immediate friend group who had a diagnosis of anxiety, depression. So now, I mean, I could probably go to any classroom and talk to students and find out half of them have it, which is good and bad. It's good that it's being more recognized. Um, it's bad that it's so widespread. And maybe it's always been that widespread, but the good thing is is now we're recognizing that it's there. The place in education, though, for it is it has to be in the forefront. Um, a student's not going to turn in their best work if they're not their best self. And so when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, a student needs to be felt they need to feel like they are listened to, heard. Um, the teacher needs to be receptive of these issues. Uh, that's that communication. You know, if a student comes to a teacher and says, you know, I, I don't understand something, that is probably very anxiety inducing for them to approach the teacher and, and admit that they don't understand it, to, to admit failure to some extent. I did not grasp it the way you intended me to. The teacher needs to recognize that and be able to say one of two things. Either I didn't teach it the right way, sometimes is the case, um, or two, they didn't hear it the way that made sense to them, or three, they got too much going on. My class is not a priority in their head right now. Um, and as I, I said, I, my first teaching assignment was in an, a, an alternative school. I had some kids who were 18 years old and were pregnant with their third kid. They don't care about English. They're trying to figure out how am I gonna make sure that my kids can eat tonight? Um, what am I gonna be doing tomorrow for my job when who's gonna watch my kids while I'm at work so I can make money? They don't care about reading a, a piece of literature. So I have to recognize that. And while I don't think we have the same issues here at MVS, they're different issues. Students are dealing with a multitude of different things every day. And they, they are coming to school on their best days and their worst days. And as teachers, we don't always know the difference. You know, we can hopefully try to observe it and, and pick up on some of the nuances, but our role is to make sure that we are, as often as possible, providing a safe outlet with flexibility for students so then that way they can continue to be their best selves and, uh, and end up with a great education when they walk out four years. Time for a quick commercial break. Greetings, multicellular organisms. The world of academia can seem like a serious place. But in my podcast, Unsearch, I bring some humor into the equation, exploring hilariously weird scientific research, answering the important questions that we've all been wondering, like, can pizza prevent cancer? So if you like weird research and nerdy science puns, visit anchor.fm unsearchpod to listen to Unsearch. So if you could give your 16-year-old high school self a piece of advice, what would you say? Oh, man. Just one thing. Um, I would say, it's easier said than done now, do not worry about what other people think of you. I was, I was a kind of a nerdy, chubby, 
you know, dorky kid in high school. I did not have the widest spread of friendships. I, I had a couple close friends. I had, you know, I, I dated, I had girlfriends, but it was, it was one of those things where I was so concerned about what my image was to people that it just ate up every aspect of my high school career. And I've got friends that talk about, oh, you remember this and that? I'm like, no, because I wasn't there because I was too anxious about what it would look like if I said the wrong thing. I worried so much on, on so many different areas of how it would come off that, you know, when I was in a relationship, I just threw myself so much into that relationship because I'm like, oh, somebody who likes me, that I lost all of the great friendships or at least put them, put them, on, a, uh, put them on a pause for, you know, months at a time. So I think if I would go back and, and be able to talk to myself, I'd just say, just chill, be yourself, have fun in the moment, you're 16. All the things that you think right now are the, the end of the world. They mean nothing in a couple of years. You're going to go off. You're going to have a lot of fun in college and, and beyond. So uh, make the most of it here while you're here. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard my episodes, but I kind of end on an affirmation or a piece of advice for me. And I know you know me, you're my advisor. So if you have any sort of advice for me or an affirmation for my listeners... Well, I would say, I've kind of told you this before, but not on a podcast, so now it's going to be out there officially. (laughs) Um, I think what you're doing with this show is great. I think it's something that more than just you need to hear it. And kind of going off of my advice to myself of just not even worrying about what people think, because realistically, you're going to talk to maybe two or three people once you leave this high school. You're going to make other friends in college that you'll be like, oh yeah, these are my lifelong friends. Just keep being yourself. Be yourself and be unapologetically that person. If somebody doesn't like it, okay, great. You don't like me. I don't like you sometimes. You know, like, <laughs> it's okay. To, we right. don't have to be everybody's best friend. We just have to be civil towards one another. And if you come across somebody who's not going to be that way, okay, you can easily just ignore them. Remove them from your life and, and just you move forward with the people that you can surround yourself with that make you happy. Keep doing this podcast in some form. I really hope you do because it is, you know, the first episode was uh, was probably the most vulnerable I think I've ever heard you be. And you were, I could see the pride on your face once everybody gave you the feedback of that was great. But the nerves of how, what are people gonna think, those were there. But then you heard the positive affirmation, the, the feedback of this was really strong. It changed your view. Um, and that's the kind of thing I hope you continue to do to see that you have this potential that you're putting a ceiling on because of your own worry. Um, and once you let that go, there's no stopping you. So keep going, keep doing that stuff, keep doing the podcast. Um, and even if you change the format up a little bit, you know, keep putting your voice out there. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for being here and for all you do. And I'll see you in a little bit. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right. That's all I have for you guys today. I just wanted to say how glad I am to have had this opportunity both talking to Mr. Lopez and to be on this immersion. I've honestly learned a lot. And as he was talking earlier, I found that a lot of the stuff he was saying I could relate to. It's so easy to get caught up in what other people think of you. And I know that at a school like MBS, where everyone is connected and together all the time, it can feel like there's a lot of pressure on you. But for today's affirmation, I just want to remind everyone to just be unapologetically yourself because that's the best thing that you can do for you, for this school, and for this world. 
I just wanted to say thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting and thank you for listening. That's all I have today. See you next time.